This podcast is brought to you by Stormaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at Stormaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. Follow the trends. Very, very dynamic industry. Uh, very like uh, quickly to change. If you spot on some trend early on, you are like uh, in a big advantage. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes. I'm joined today by Andre Kuganich from uh, Nordius Games. Andre, you want to introduce yourself and uh, Nordius a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Esther. Um, my name is, uh, as you said, Andre Kuganich. I work uh, in marketing for around now 10 years, uh, specifically in mobile gaming for more than five years. Uh, previously, I was working uh, on some traditional brands like McDonald's, uh, Visa, Renault, more um, in media buying and planning agency. And here I was leading uh, a user acquisition team first, so performance marketing, and then transfer to leading whole marketing team together with all the brand activities and everything else. Um, so yeah, like, uh, that's in short, uh, regarding me and regarding Nordus for people who don't know it, uh, we are a developer of top 11, be a football manager. That's our flagship game, uh, which is on the market, uh, very similar to how much experience I have in marketing and that's around 10 years. Uh, so for full decade, which is kind of, uh, not that usual, uh, in the very young mobile gaming, uh, industry. Uh, and still being a leader in a football management category on mobile. And yeah, uh, heavily focusing on uh, further growing and maintaining that game, plus uh, adding uh, to the portfolio other successful games in um, especially football area. So we are based in Belgrade, Serbia. Uh, many different nationalities. I think more than 20 we have here. So that's a great opportunity also for me to meet all those people uh, in my hometown. So that's in short. Awesome. I have to ask before we start uh, diving into mobile specific, you know, you went from uh, marketing McDonald's, maybe one of the most old school marketing, uh, you know, worlds to going into a mobile game and also a somewhat a traditional mobile game. You know, it's not a match three. It's not a, it's not a battle Royale. What was the biggest, uh, you know, what were some of the biggest differences going from uh, one world of marketing into the other? That, that's actually a great question. Like, um, I mean, uh, obviously, like, uh, at the end of the day, marketing is marketing, but there is a huge difference in how you approach marketing uh, for McDonald's and for uh, mobile game and specifically top 11. So I would say like uh, that what gave me an advantage in adapting is that in the last two or three years in agency, I was focusing mostly on digital marketing, which was growing at that time. And more specifically on analytics part and uh, yeah data driven approach to all of that and 
we can call it even performance marketing, which was still very like young in Serbia. Um, and that gave me advantage to more easily adapt to top 11, which, which is obviously as a whole mobile gaming industry, very data driven uh, in terms of marketing, uh, but also gave me an opportunity to have this um, other side of the story. And this is a brand building and how traditional big brands actually develop uh, those brands. So I, I had opportunity to learn that uh, before Nordeus and uh, use it um, uh, when, when I joined. So it was a learning curve, definitely, uh, but a very interesting one. So yeah, that's 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 kind of in short. And uh, I would say like that um, uh, there are very interesting trends uh, visible there. You know, like when I joined like um, from um, agency where McDonald's was working mostly with traditional media and very little with uh, digital media, it was quite the opposite uh, on uh, top 11 and more specifically on mobile gaming. It was like m almost all on digital media and performance marketing and user acquisition. Uh, but now we see the trends are kind of shifting that uh, uh, those traditional brands are using more and more uh, digital media and a performance approach in how they deal with, uh, with marketing while uh, digital brands and mobile games uh, tend to go more and more to some traditional media like uh, TV, uh, radio even, and uh, out of home. So, yeah, it's very interesting to follow all of that. So almost in a way, you maybe, uh, maybe came in with a little bit of advantage because brand marketing is something that isn't so uh, natural to to the world of mobile. And I think you're right. We're seeing it much, much more today than we saw it a, a few years ago. Um, so... I, I'll use that to transition straight into top 11. I think um, you, you know, for a long time, maybe the whole time that you've been at, uh, you know, working with top 11, you focused on both of these sides, right? You never fully let brand building go. Can you, can you talk me through how you began, you know, what started back in 2000, whatever it was? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, uh, the good side of that was that I must say, like that, uh, even before I joined Nordeus, uh, Nordeus and Top Eleven was one of the pioneers in that uh, in that area. Like in mobile gaming, um, that is a game which is on the market. Uh, it will soon be 11th birthday actually in in two months. And for example, I can just give few examples that even before I joined, uh, Top Eleven took Jose Mourinho as a brand ambassador, like back in, I think, seven or eight years ago, uh, which I think was uh, one of the great steps in that moment, because when you look at the store at that time, there was a very little uh, number of games who had uh, such a uh, big celebrity, which completely connects to the brand great, you know, like Jose Mourinho as a uh, yeah, most known football manager, uh, yeah, and 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 top eleven, so it really made the brand stand out, like on App Store, on Google Play Store, and then all the activations done with him um, on a you know like a yearly basis uh, were something that didn't have uh, as a goal user acquisition or performance marketing, uh, you know like short term uh, uh, goals. It was more for building a brand, and yeah, in five to ten years, standing out, so competitors cannot get that easily close to you, you know, uh, new competitors which show up. So I must say like that, um, yeah, 
it already started in Ordeus. When I joined, like I was um, mostly focusing on user acquisition, as I said at the beginning. Uh, but we always had a product marketing team, uh, which was uh, taking care of all of our partners with, with clubs, with brand ambassadors, doing brand activations. And uh, I just see those two things as very complementary. So like uh, if you have a good brand brand in your hands, user acquisition is much easier. Uh, while when you have a great user acquisition team and a strong growth, you will have more budgets to invest in brand. So yeah, it's it both spills over, and it was always like that. But uh, you know, like uh, throughout the, the years, I tried uh, also obviously to um, use some of my learnings which I had from working on uh, brands like Visa and McDonald's, and uh, do something similar like um, on Top Eleven um in the last few years so it was definitely uh, a nice um background to have in a company and on a game like top 11 i think one of the um you know maybe the challenges when it comes to games and being able to invest in brand marketing is there's a you know kind of a comfort that the industry's become accustomed to of immediate results you know you're able to sort of set a KPI see if your campaign is hitting that KPI and then decide how you want to go from there um and i think for gaming specifically because there's such an uh, a short funnel right and there's kind of this instantaneous you need to get that person now companies are very afraid a lot of the time to invest in the kind of brand effort that you you know you mentioned it's a it's a long-term investment right you don't see that immediate turnaround how do you as a as a game developer and as somebody who is focused on the performance and the actual you know kind of ROI how are you able to sort of prioritize and justify brand efforts without those hard numbers right behind them well, one more great question, I must say, uh, and uh, not an easy answer. So basically, as you said, like I must double down on that. So like uh, spend on user acquisition performance marketing is very easy in a way because you can justify it very easily, like uh, in a short term uh, metrics, but also with, you know, predictions and the tools, I guess, all good user acquisition teams have. Uh, so it's very easily representable to top management. Uh, while brand building is something that is not. So definitely we have some um, measurement for that because some of the things uh, regarding the brand building can be measured. Like, and we uh, usually have like uh, either ad hoc or quarterly uh, analysis of uh, uh, brand metrics we want to impact. Uh, so for in countries, we want to impact them because yeah, all the mobile games are basically global games. So you need to usually focus on specific markets with brand building and with user acquisition usually go worldwide. Uh, so then we usually have this brand service, uh, service and in those like we see before the campaign and after some big brand campaign, did we manage to impact those metrics? And obviously that's not uh, uh, ROI in that sense, but we do have goals. And we can quantify, which is important. Did we do good? Did we not do good? And what are the learnings? Uh, but even that is not what can justify the cost. You still need to believe in brand building because that's something which uh, gives you big value after three, five, even 10 years. And if you don't believe in that in you know all the areas of the company, it will be very hard to justify this long-term um, effect you will get at the end of the journey. 
It's a really good point. I think at some, you know, first of all, I'd love to, uh, my next question, so you can start thinking about it already, is if you can share some of the metrics that you guys use to yeah. to kind of uh, compare. But I think you still need that. It's like you said, that belief. It's not just, you're never going to see that tangible kind of, or rarely you're going to see the tangible impact of the brand in such a way that you'll always be able to justify it right away on the numbers. And you need to have some level of we're investing in a brand and that's, you know, if we have a game that we expect to have a real life cycle and not kind of a, a short, more hyper casual style, you have to accept that. So let's go back now to the metrics that you use to, yeah. uh, to measure brand. <laughs> sure. I mean, uh, it, it varied. Like, uh, as I said, like it depends, do we want to enter some, um, let's call it a new market, uh, which we didn't penetrate uh, so much, even in these 10 years, we, which definitely can happen. Uh, then we see in which part of the funnel uh, there is a need to impact. So, for example, it can happen in these uh, new markets that the brand awareness just is not high enough. So we just want to make that higher. Like, uh, and that's usually an easier job because you just need to make a nice campaign which will have a high reach, uh, and uh, yeah, to make an impact so people are like kind of remember our brand when they see a user acquisition ad, for example, in one month. Uh, the tougher job, I would say, is uh, um, I can call it uh, brand favorability. So, like, if you want, uh, uh, they know your brand, and top 11 as a brand is pretty well known in especially European markets and uh, some other where we are present for years. And then we want to be. Like uh, when somebody takes this into consideration, uh, like the first choice, uh, like uh, in their mind, like comparing to our competitors and to improve that part of the funnel. So um, that's kind of a tougher job. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, we then usually think about do we want to differentiate comparing to those competitors and have one of the many brand metrics which we can impact uh, much higher than them where they are weak or we actually want to take the battle on a metric where they are high and to get on those high levels or even higher. So that's kind of usually a decision uh, we need to make. Um, and um, the, the impact on bread metrics is not that uh, if you're going to talk about numbers, is not something that grows very quickly. Like um, it's uh, usually uh, those, um, those uh, goals are usually like 10% relative increase uh, 15%, 20%, it can hardly happen that uh, you have a much, much higher increase in a short period because, as I said, that's uh, like um, a marathon, basically. Like, uh, you need to do it, uh, like, for years in a good way and to nurture the brand. Uh, and, yeah, there is a lot of traditional brands with, you know, great examples like Coca-Cola, McDonald's, uh, Apple, who basically, with their brand, solely, like... Uh, are maintaining the top positions. I think that's, first of all, I think it's interesting you touched on kind of these, uh, these two methodologies you have with competitors, which is, do you go for where you know you're strong and they're weak and really emphasize that versus do you go after where they're strong and, yeah. and kind of enhance yourself that way? What uh, what kind of decision, you know, what's the difference in how you actively enact that strategy? When do you decide What's an example of when you would decide to go, let's say, after something that they're that they're doing really well in? I mean, usually, like all the decisions around brand, like uh, 
are more of a lo uh, longer term strategy. So like, it's not like we are deciding each quarter, like uh, we usually like uh, uh, approach that with first uh, re proper research done, like, and uh, all the like, uh, the, the things we can gather around our brand and around competitors brand, look at the year to three years in advance and see what are the maybe opportunities like uh, where we can do this. And uh, yeah, basically like uh, on uh, those like uh, strategy meetings, we decide which strategic approach to take. And then on regarding the tactics, we dive deeper like on a quarterly level or on a yearly level, but this is usually a decision which is made on a, uh, on a longer period of time. And how do you see, you know, when we look at these two efforts of brand and UA, so we're saying basically you have to make sure you have performance, you have to make sure you have brand. How do they work together? Is it the same team? Do you share KPIs? Are you completely separate and just benefiting off each other's work? So basically, uh, they, they definitely need to work together, but the connection is not that tight. It's not like they need to work on an everyday level. So like uh, uh, we have, for example, in Ordu's uh, user acquisition team, which consists out of uh, user acquisition managers responsible for media buying, analysis, and everything else. And we have a creative team, which uh, makes all the ads, which we know it's uh, like uh, uh, tons of ads you need to have today to make um, user acquisition work like on a sustainable level. Um, and then we have a product marketing team, uh, which is basically people uh, who are uh, responsible for uh, the brand itself. And why is it important that them, they work together is because like uh, uh, we also think about when making a UA ads that we don't go beyond the brand boundaries. Like so like we have some limits. Obviously, user acquisition ads as itself, like their performance ads. So they will be more performance and not on that level of uh, quality, like uh, when we make some brand activations and videos, but they need to be in some boundaries. And we can definitely see in the industry, this is not happening consistently, even with some big companies. So this is something we really want to uh, nurture. And then there are some small tweaks also to try to show uh, brand in the UA ad, uh, like as much as we can. So we share awareness also through ads because outside of high number of registrations we get through, through UA, we have also tons of millions and billions of uh, impressions. So, and then on the other side, like, uh, as I said, product marketing team is definitely the one which is taking care of uh, the partnerships of the brand ambassadors, brand activations, uh, big bits in the year. Uh, this year, this will be definitely the summer of football. And um, they, they, they definitely work together, but not as like the same team on an everyday level. I think you have a really uh, important point there, and we see it actually um, even unintentionally, which is that performance ads have a branding effect, right? Like they are speaking yep. towards your brand. And I mean, we see it sometimes I'll look at uh, when you reduce spend, for example, on a specific campaign, suddenly you notice that the search volume for your brand, the number of people who are searching for the brand name goes down alongside your spend. So there's, yep. you know, there's there's a branding effect for sure. And if you're ignoring the brand side and only focusing on the performance, it goes back to that short term, you know, you're getting maybe the right CPI for a little bit of time, but what are you doing long term and how is that impacting long term? Yes, yes. Maybe one interesting uh, 
example is the, the this uh, TV campaigns we had recently. This kind of connected uh, these themes very much because TV as a medium and channel um, a kind of uh, has a very strong effect on uh, can have a very strong effect in registration uplifts, but also in brand building. So, and it's completely different how you approach that channel comparing to Facebook, Google, uh, or whatever video network you do user acquisition usually. So this was actually a channel where uh, everybody in marketing like needed to work very tightly together. So we kind of squeeze uh, the best out of it uh, in terms of results. You know, I'd love to drill into this TV campaign a bit further because uh, we talked about it before the call. So many games don't see the results that they'd want to see from TV. How yeah. do you guys approach uh, a TV campaign in a way that you see as profitable? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, uh, uh, TV, if you look, uh, I think it, the, the, the most important thing is how you actually at the beginning approach TV. So uh, I think that for really low number of games, low percentage of games, it can work as a user acquisition channel. So like if companies are looking at it just from a performance side and checking how many registrations it brought and then what's the lifetime value of those registrations and counting, uh, again, uh, ROI only on that side, which is like a completely user acquisition approach, I think it will not work for many companies. Uh, but um, uh, that's one thing. And if you, But if you take a look uh, it, the other way, and that's... Um, um, to bring actually definitely registration, that should be one of the main goals, but also that the, those TV ads are made in a different way comparing to standard performance user acquisition ads on digital, uh, then you can definitely build in those specific markets where you run TV campaigns, a long lasting brand effect, much better than you do with uh, user acquisition channels. So if you combine, those two teams who are working on user acquisition and brand and set goals in both areas and make something which can work uh, in both ways, I think that the end value can, can, uh, can be justified. But if you look at it only in uh, one of those two areas, it will not work. And uh, definitely, um, th this is definitely, I think, the approach which uh, can bring value. And especially if you tie it up with some bigger campaigns. So it doesn't need to be an ongoing channel like you do with, I don't know, Facebook or like uh, any other. This can be uh, used in a specific moments of the year where you have some big releases in the game or you have some big external events which uh, basically connect to your brand great. You know, like, uh, for example, for football games, that's uh, Euro Cup, World Cup or anything like it. Um, and then uh, you can uh, you can have the value want uh, outside of it. And definitely, um, you must approach making these TV ads much differently than you do in um, on digital, uh, how you make them for Facebook or YouTube or whatever. So how do you connect? I think it's a it's a really good point that you can't if you're relying on TV as its own channel in and of itself, you're not probably not going to see the results that you want to see. How do you use UA to enhance that effect? How does that, you know, maybe you can give us an example of when you ran TV, what was the next step for UA? How did it complement that effort? So there, uh, there is a definitely one effect which uh, always happens is when you run TV in some um, country, 
you uh, in um, 90 plus percent of cases see a positive impact on uh, digital metrics. So on click-through rates, on conversion rates, uh, because you basically share awareness on TV as a channel, and then when people see it on uh, on uh, digital channels, they are easier to convert or to click on your ad. So this is a, let's call it a side effect, uh, which is always uh, good to see, and I think it can uh, it happens. Uh, it's especially visible on, for example, Google search ads or on Apple search ads um, because you drive demand. Um, on the other side, um, you can go a step. Um, uh, ahead, let's say it like that, and um, you can try if you especially have some big placements that you know that you're going to be in some really like uh, 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 as, um, time slot on TV, which is uh, very, very visible and has a high reach, uh, you can uh, make some uh, stronger uh, user acquisition push uh, around that period. So like uh, a half hour before, half hour, especially after. So these are some small, let's say, tactics which you can use, which can definitely uh, bring a better effect. Uh, but I would say like that the one which always happens is this first, which I mentioned, that you basically see, uh, see this uh, multi-channel uh, spillover once you launch TV as still, I think, the biggest channel and mass media channel uh, there is. I think, um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned as well is an app like Top 11, because it connects to something real world, you know, it's not just happening within the world of the game. You're connecting to actual, I say soccer because I'm American, but actual <laughs> football, soccer world. Um, how do you look at events like that, offline events? You know, especially I'm thinking about this year with COVID when suddenly games didn't occur as usual and then they start resuming after a period of time. You know, is that something that you're taking... How do you create a strategy around that? How do you function when you're not in control of all of the events yeah. that impact your game? So basically, I mean, uh, COVID is a really big topic, like, and uh, it made us, uh, from one side, big mess last year because we obviously <laughs> had a lot of plans, like for the summer, like Euro Cup was planned. We already have that uh, in progress, and a lot of other things which we needed to basically cancel. But on the other side, as probably everybody in mobile gaming knows, it actually did good on a business side, like because people uh, stayed at home. Well, I mean, a lot of entertainment were closed and are still like uh, cinema and other stuff. And uh, basically mobile gaming um, grew, um, like people started playing more, spending more. And um, yeah, basically for user acquisition, it was definitely a good period. But for us, for any Branding activation, it was a really challenging period because, uh, yeah, a lot of external events were like kind of uh, postponed or completely canceled. And what we were discussing a lot is uh, actually like um, trying to replace somehow on our especially social media channels this uh, football gap because we had a few months without football. And Top 11 is one of the biggest football brands uh, like uh, there is. Um, and we tried with our like big social media. I know we have 14 million follow fans on Facebook uh, to try to, you know, like give them something football related when there is no football in the world, which they can, you know, like fill the gap at least a little. So that's kind of the thing we try to uh, do in this period uh, with the football gap. And now there is football, but there is no fans. 
so uh, still not ideal. Uh, but uh, yeah, now it's uh, let's say easier because football is again in our lives, and I hope it will be also during this summer with the Euro Cup and Concacaf and other big football uh, tournaments. Do you think that all games and all genres can benefit from brand marketing, or is there a set of kind of you know let's let's put hyper casual aside for a second and let's look at yeah. you know just uh, <laughs> games maybe that don't have this. Uh, off-world presence that don't necessarily have a natural fit for, um, you know, you guys had, uh, I've, I, it's funny cause I don't, I don't watch soccer and I'm not going to pretend to, but even I know that top 11 is a big app that connects with soccer because you see it everywhere, right? Like the logos are on jerseys when players are playing. Do you think that there's a set of criteria that a game should meet in order to consider this kind of brand marketing? Or do you think there's a way for any developer to to capitalize on it? That's that's a great question. I, I didn't think that much about it. Um, for Top 11, this was definitely, as you said, like uh, uh, a big opportunity, like uh, because you can just connect. We sponsored like jerseys, as you said, for Stoke uh, when they were in Premier League. Uh, we have Jose Mourinho, we had World Cup campaign with uh, Del Bosque and Scolari, so we can easily connect to external events, uh, which is always great. Um, uh, but there are also many great examples in the industry which done it properly and not only increased the uh, performance of their user acquisition campaigns or whatsoever, uh, but they, I think, benefited a lot when they were sold, like uh, from the value of their brand. like. Uh, uh, and I think especially uh, games in a category which relates more to younger audiences, especially to kids, are a huge opportunity to do a great branding because then you can, you know, like make movies, uh, sell uh, like merchandise, like uh, for those uh, uh, kids where I'm also having a daughter and when she sees some like cartoon or game, I need to buy like <laughs> a toy which uh, has that, uh, you know, either Dora or like a Frozen character or whatever. So I think definitely there are games uh, to answer like that have a higher opportunity in that area and games uh, which uh, have lower opportunity. But I think that every game or every brand can develop it. And uh, like uh, there is opportunity for everybody. For some, it's just bigger and maybe even easier. For some, it's tougher and uh, with maybe not that high value as for some. But uh, for every game, especially the successful game, which has a great user acquisition growth curve and in terms of revenue, part of the budget can be devoted and efforts to that and it will definitely bring value. Yeah, I guess there's the example of uh, the first one that comes to mind is Angry Birds, which was able to yeah. create the offline brand and the movies and everything after the game picked up and after that yeah. was uh, yes. that's a good point. Okay, that's one more question for me uh, before we start uh, the quick fire round is, uh, is just in terms of, you know, Top 11 is about to celebrate its 11 year anniversary. How do you, you know, in a world like mobile gaming where things, the funnel is is sometimes incredibly quick, the competition is through the roof, the market is so saturated, you know, the idea of continuing growth after 10 years of, of growth plans is uh, a whole topic in and of itself that I'm sure uh, many, many people would be interested in. But 
from your perspective, you know, especially looking at this combination of of the brand work that you've built until now and the you the A that you're doing, um, you know, how do you how do you keep it fresh? How do you keep growth as something that that continues? Yep. Um, good question. I mean, uh, this is definitely, a, and um, I didn't mention this so far, which is extremely important connection, and that's uh, product itself, like, and people working on the product and marketing, because, uh, you know, like, at the end of the day, like, without uh, great stuff done on the product itself, it's impossible to keep anything fresh from a marketing side. So I think um, looking at top 11 in the last few years, uh, what... Uh, we done in the game uh, like is really like I'm here for five years, but uh, it's uh, really a lot. And I think users loved it. Like we had the friendly championships. Uh, we had the special sponsors with uh, some specific challenges. Uh, we are constantly working on live, uh, you know, live events to keep it fresh, to keep it live. And I think and uh, trying to connect with real life football also all of those events, you know, putting real clubs so you can play against real clubs and uh, connected to this big, uh, we had uh, two years ago World Cup uh, also like edition in, in top 11. So I think that's really important. And then marketing can take all of that and build upon, you know, with some great campaigns, with some uh, uh, brand activations, with obviously like uh, a lot of work done on user acquisition creatives, refreshing them, uh, um, uh, teasing people in a different way. So it's basically like um, you need, especially as you said, in the industry, which is like I would say having so many um, uh, like great games and competition is so high, not just in terms of how many games there are, but how many money do they have to invest? <laughs> uh, you really need to be top of the game all the time from product side and then from marketing side. So basically, uh, you need to nail both of them to actually then celebrate 11th birthday in a healthy environment and then potentially <laughs> 20th or whatever uh, later on. And uh, that's it. And the brand itself, which we are speaking about, is developed from the game itself through marketing them. So you really need to do a good job on all fronts. And it's not an easy. It's a lot of effort and uh, uh, a lot of good decision you need to make to, to, to do that. Agreed. Product first and then, uh, you know, everything else follows. I think a lot yes. of companies sometimes, especially when you have a huge budget to throw around, you can do that amazing, powerful launch and you can shoot to the top of the charts, but to be able to stay there requires yeah. more. You can't rely on marketing to do all that for you. Definitely. All right. You ready for a quick fire, fast questions? Yes. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Let's go. First of all, if you could give just one tip to uh, somebody who's looking to break into mobile growth marketing, what would it be? A tip, one tip only. Well, uh, uh, follow the trends. Very, very dynamic industry. Uh, very like uh, quickly to change. If you spot on some trend early on, you are like uh, in a big advantage. So that's your favorite uh, mobile growth resource. Favorite mobile growth resource. Uh, let's say, well, I don't have one answer here. There is so many like uh, where, uh, where I like uh, try to gather like uh, 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 the knowledge. 
but the most I get from a network itself, from people. So like, that's my biggest resource, like speaking with people and experts in different uh, groups or hopefully soon enough on conferences. <laughs> which brings me to my next question, which is uh, hopefully we're going back to uh, maybe being able to, uh, to, to seeing people soon. We both live in countries where vaccinations actually happening yeah. and all. Um, when you get to go back out in the real world, who is the person in the industry that you'd most want to take out for lunch and why? Oof, that's a big question. That's a really big question. <laughs> Let's see. There, there is so much, you know, like, because I didn't see anybody for more than a year. Uh, so, I mean, like... Um, yeah, there is so much, but uh, if I were to name one person, uh, that can be like uh, travel uh, to maybe USA and then going in San Francisco with our friend, former colleague from Nordus, Nebo Sharadovic, Nebo, on a lunch. So that would be awesome. Especially in San Francisco, I must mention. <laughs> Not here. As long as lunch to, happens I, there. I want to travel, that's it. <laughs> you can do a, a in-flight lunch. I'll, uh, yeah. I'll allow it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, most important question. What is your favorite type of pancake? Oof, my favorite type of, this is an easy one. My favorite type of pake, pancake is uh, protein pancakes. Oh, nice. Very healthy. So, yeah, I am making them, yeah, often. Amazing. Andre, where can people find you if they want to learn more, hear more about what you're doing? Well, you know, like in person, I'm here in Serbia, <laughs> Belgrade days, or hopefully like soon enough on some conferences. Uh, but yeah, like uh, other than that, I think LinkedIn is the best place like to connect on a professional level. Like there is a lot of Slack societies and everything, but LinkedIn is something where we can always speak. And I'm very open for connecting and networking and uh, discussing some topics with people from the industry. Right, amazing. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us today and for all the insights and excited to uh, to celebrate the 11th birthday for Top 11 from afar. Thanks, Esther. We are also excited. And yeah, let's keep it going. And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve App Store performance, visit StoreMaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Stormaven, thanks for listening.